thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Kelly Fitzgerald, and I will be reading from Luke 4, 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a safe and happy Fourth of July. Thank you, Kelly, for reading our scripture today. We appreciate you doing that. So it is indeed Fourth of July weekend. Fourth of July actually falls today, a day, a time when we think about freedom. But today I want to explore what freedom means from the perspective of Jesus and frame that with what I call Jesus's freedom plan. It has three parts, and I'll get into those a little bit later. But these verses that Kelly just read for us, they're brief, but I believe that they illustrate this plan of Jesus. And so in these verses, he has just been baptized by John. And the Spirit, God's Spirit, has led him out into the wilderness where he spends 40 days in the middle of nowhere, tempted by the devil. Sounds fun, right? Sounds like a nice little getaway. But then he leaves the wilderness and he's ready to go. Jesus is ready to begin his ministry. And so the text tells us that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. That's an important detail because what that tells us is God's Spirit is empowering him for the task that he will have in the world. And so he starts in Galilee. Now Galilee in those times was one of the most forward-looking, least conservative parts of Palestine. And the synagogue was the center of religious life. That's where teaching would happen. And so that is where we find Jesus. Now, there are three parts typically to a worship service in a synagogue. The first would be the, the opening of worship when prayers are offered. And then they would move into the reading of the scripture. And so typically they would read that in Hebrew and then they would um, interpret it and, and translate it into Aramaic or Greek. And then the teaching would happen. And at that point, any distinguished person could stand up and speak. And then there would typically be some sort of discussion that would follow. And so this is how Jesus gained entry. This is where we see him giving this message. And people are starting to talk about him and wonder who he is, what he's all about. But it's important to know that at this point in his ministry, there's no real opposition to him. People are hungry for what he's offering. And the text tells us that the result of what he was saying was praise by all people. And so he continues along and he ends up in Nazareth. Now we know that Nazareth is his hometown. That's where he grew up. And so we can imagine that he is welcomed warmly there. There might be old timers sitting in the back saying, that's our boy. He's come back. 
And we know that this is an audience that would probably listen to him. And so on the Sabbath day, as had been his custom throughout his life, he goes to the synagogue to worship. And he stands up to read, and the temple assistant hands him a scroll, and Jesus unrolls it, and he chooses to read words from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 61 in our Bible. And so he begins talking about how God has sent him to do all of these things, releasing people from all sorts of bondage and oppression, whether that be economic or physical or political or spiritual, to release people who are helpless and destitute and afflicted and distressed. And then he goes on to talk about the year of the Lord's favor. What in the world is he talking about? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, into Leviticus 25, he's likely referring to the Old Testament idea of the year of Jubilee. And what that meant was every 50 years, debts would be forgiven, slaves would be freed, and land would be returned to its original owner. And so what that signified was a gift of freedom, a new beginning, a foreshadowing of sorts of what heaven was going to be like. And so Jesus rolls up the scroll and he sits down. Now, we might think this means he's done. But in reality, he was just getting started because the way it worked was a rabbi would sit down to teach. And so we can imagine that there might be some tension or anticipation in the room. Everybody is staring at him and they're quiet and they're probably thinking, what is he going to say? And so then he speaks and he says, today... This scripture has been fulfilled. That's it. Short and sweet. A mic drop moment for Jesus. He's proclaiming himself as the Messiah. Now, this is his first public sermon. This is basically the keynote of his ministry, an inaugural address of sorts. And we see him here speaking with passion and with confidence He's fulfilling the scripture from Isaiah, all of these hopes of Israel. They've waited centuries for God's promise. But these aren't just words from a prophet. These are, this is Jesus' story. It was their story then, and it's our story now. Because his ministry signaled that the time for liberation had come. Israel was no longer going to be a fragmented society, but instead a community family of people. So I mentioned this idea of a freedom plan that has three parts. So part one is this. Jesus came to set us free, notably from sin and death. But how often do we really believe that? How often do we really claim that truth in our hearts? Often the greatest forms of bondage that we have in our lives are the ones that we avoid noticing. And so I would encourage you to ask yourself a few questions. Where are we blind and unable to see in the routine living of our lives? What is the good news that we need to hear in the poverty of our own spirits? And what prisons do we need to be released from in our lives? Now I will confess to you that I have done this exercise all week long. And been convicted of some things. 
But if we really get down to it, I think that we sometimes believe that we're locked in to these, these things, these patterns, these ways of thinking. And friends, the prisons in our lives are many. Toxic relationships, soul-crushing jobs, addiction, sadness, unrealistic expectations, both from other people or the ones that we put on ourselves, unfulfilled dreams, fear, regret. But through Christ, we are set free from any confinement that those things bring to us. And God isn't waiting on us to become perfect or to improve enough to be loved. But God also never leaves us where God finds us. Because when we encounter Jesus, there is always a radical change in our condition, a radical change in who we are. And you may be thinking today, you know, I'm good. I don't have any bondage in my life. I'm well adjusted. Life is good for me. Now, I believe that we go through seasons in life, the so-called mountaintop times, the valley times. And so if you're on a mountaintop and you're in a good place, that's awesome. And I mean that with all sincerity, because we all have those times. But here's another way to think about this. How often do we live with one foot in the past and one foot in the future? Again, I will confess that I'm guilty of this. We're caught between our history, things that are done or things that we've left undone, and then the uncertainty and the unknown of what's to come. And so we've become captive to what was, we've become oppressed to what might be, and we miss what's happening now in this present moment. And so what happens over time is our lives gradually become small and they become empty. We become more unavailable to those that we love. We become unavailable to the needs of the world and to the fullness of life that God offers. But that's not the way that Jesus lived, and that's not the life that Jesus calls us to. The life that Jesus offers is one of freedom, one of liberation, one of meaning. Now, our society is used to the idea of freedom as autonomy. The idea that we have the license to choose, to do what we want. Our lives are driven by our individual preferences. How do I feel? How do I, what do I want? What makes me feel fulfilled? But Jesus understands freedom differently. Jesus would say that freedom is being released from captivity to death, a chance to become fully alive, to become fully Christ-like in this present moment. Some of you may be familiar with uh, Jen Hatmaker. She's a writer, among a few other things, but she's one of my favorites to read and to follow. And she says this, Christians should be the freest, most unstuck, unrestricted, liberated people that breathe air. And so when we claim this freedom, we can move to part two of this freedom plan. Jesus teaches us how to walk and freedom. Now, in addition to autonomy, we also tend to view freedom in terms of being free from domination. That relates to someone or something that we feel is overbearing toward us. Now, what that does is it focuses attention exclusively outside of ourselves onto any barrier that we identify that keeps us from having what we want in our life. But the reality is that the freedom God calls us to has more to do with what goes on in our own heart than it does with what happens outside of us or around us. 
Now, let's not forget where Jesus came from, what he was doing before he started his ministry. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, dealing with his own inner self. But he came out of the wilderness with a deepened sense of freedom. And so he serves as a catalyst for us to move toward a deeper inner freedom ourselves. And the time for that to happen is today. Because it puts us in the middle of an unfolding sacred drama. And it reminds us that we are the agents in God's desire for the world. The only thing that's preventing us from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus offers is us, our own selves. And so as we choose that life, we become love. We become peace. We become freedom. We become contentment. Our lives become living expressions of the kingdom of God, of true freedom. As United Methodists, we answer a question in our baptismal vows that says this, do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? So that brings us to part three of this freedom plan. Jesus calls us to fight for the freedom of others for his sake. That means that we claim the freedom and power God gives us to stand against issues and circumstances that don't line up with the gospel. Because power is power only when it sets other people free. Only when it builds other people up. Only when it's used for the betterment of those around us. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit from the active presence of God in the world. And so as we read this passage many years later, the message remains the same. Is the Spirit of the Lord upon us? Meaning, do we as people who carry on Jesus' ministry and mission, do we bring release and freedom to the people who need it? God's power is often seen as uncomfortable or odd, by the world because it often focuses on those who are overlooked or forgotten or discarded by our society. That would include those who are physically in prison, those who are struggling with an addiction, those who are homeless, those who are oppressed by some sort of abusive situation, and the list goes on and on. A few years ago in my ethics seminary class, This passage that was read from Luke 4 was one of three that we had to memorize. And we had to be able to recite it and write it word for word multiple times for a grade in that class. And I will admit that when we were given the assignment and as I was trying to to learn it and memorize it, I was not real happy. I thought it was a little bit excessive and I kept asking myself, why are we doing this? But as those words began to really take root in my heart and in my soul, which, by the way, is a positive aspect of memorizing Scripture, writing the words of God on our hearts, I began to understand why we were doing it. And the reason is because this passage is one that gives us a framework for ethical thinking and moral behavior as Christians. What it means to live with the Spirit of the Lord upon us. Now, I didn't read, or Kelly didn't read, the rest of the story from Luke. But if you keep going for the next nine verses, you will see that it takes a very interesting turn. The people in Nazareth become very angry with Jesus. 
like want to throw him off a cliff angry, for real. You can read it. Because they understood the scriptures as promises of God's exclusive covenant with them. And then Jesus shows up announcing God's promise of liberation for all the poor and all the oppressed, regardless of their nationality or their gender or their race, this idea of radical inclusiveness. And so their commitment to their own little community boundaries took precedent over the joy that Jesus was there among them. And the end result is that because they didn't want other people to share in that abundance of God's deliverance, they ultimately were unable to receive it for themselves. God's grace is never subject to limitations and boundaries of any nation, of any church, of any group, of any race. All of those distinctions fade away in the light of grace because God sees all, God loves all, and God intends and promises to redeem all. Now, God's plan is not for us to be any more blessed than anyone else. Rather, we are blessed to then go and be a blessing for the world. So, friends, how much more might God be able to do with us if we transcend the boundaries of this church community? It could be as simple as you inviting someone to come with you to worship, to join you in a Bible study, Freedom is not just a matter of being free from something. But it also involves being free for something. For the kingdom of God. For loving other people. We live in a society that emphasizes individuality. It's what's, what's in it for me mentality. And so as faithful Christians, how do we respond to that? How do we live in light of that? Well, Jesus tells us, I have a holistic call on your life. A good friend and colleague in ministry taught me a few years ago that we are wise to ask two questions continuously throughout our lives. What does it mean that Jesus is my Savior? And what does it mean that Jesus is my Lord? Jesus saves and sets us free. There's no question about that, though sometimes we struggle to really understand and own that truth. But we are also set free for obedience. Because as Lord, Jesus gets to shape what we believe, but he also gets to shape the way that we live our lives. And it's in our discipleship and our following and imitating Jesus and his ways that we find true freedom. If you look in Romans 6, 15 through 23, it talks about this. It asks the question, so can we just live any way that we want because we walk in God's freedom and grace? Well, there are acts of so-called freedom that actually destroy freedom. That would be called sin. But when we offer ourselves to the ways of God, this is what the message translation says. Freedom never quits. We have a whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more of life on the way. So how would you answer those two questions? What does it mean to you that Jesus is your Savior? What does it mean to you that Jesus is your Lord? God loves us enough to see us, to forgive us, 
to heal and restore us, to challenge us, and then to send us out to really see other people and to love them. And so as we listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah, that's to share in God's dream for the world and to live into that vision for the future. Jesus is our example. He's saying, watch me. This is how it's done. This is what God's kingdom looks like in action. And so the good news for us is that we can walk in freedom and we can also be a witness to that freedom as we let God's Spirit use us as vessels of love and of grace. And so I would invite all of us to bring Jesus' words to life as we represent him in the world. As he is able to say through us, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Thanks be to God for his love and his grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.